You are listening to Problematic Radio. I'm chilled. You know, I often say that this is a podcast for talking about the kinds of things you're not supposed to talk about. People always think that means political, and a lot of times it does. The truth is everyone has some weird political opinion they think they're being persecuted for. There are a lot of interesting conversations to be had there, I think important conversations, and we're going to have them. But there's like a whole universe out there we're not talking about, and right now I am talking about that, literally, the universe. Why is it for a sentient race that doesn't know where it came from, floating on a speck of dust around a giant ball of burning gas in the universe, which we also do not fully understand the origin of, are conversations about the nature of reality so taboo? Even just saying that phrase, nature of reality, I feel like I sound like an idiot. I am embarrassed to say it out loud. What is that? Today, I want to talk about a whole world of weird stuff that is happening that we refuse to really look at. We're talking about UFOs. Deep Prasad is someone who I met through a colleague of mine at Founders Fund, who is herself an enthusiastic member of the UFO community. Deep's a UFO researcher, but primarily he's a quantum computing scientist, and that's what really piqued my interest about his work. He's the CEO of a company called Reactive Q and the VP of Tech at UAP Expeditions, that's Unidentified Aerial Phenomena. He's going to be presenting his work on solving partial differential equations with quantum classical mesh optimization at the prestigious Q-Tech 2020 conference this November. And he's also actively involved in the search for extraterrestrial intelligence, which is connected in part to the UFO UAP topic. Buckle up. It is physics, government conspiracies, aliens, or are they perhaps just multidimensional beings from the future that are actually us? We talked about simulation theory and are we living in one? Of course. Is it broken, by the way? And what are the nature of historical sims? Is that what we're living in? What about quantum computing? How does that fit in? We talked about error correction and the nature of intelligence. This was a really fun conversation that spanned a whole bunch of topics. When you're done listening, let me know what you think. Hit me up on Twitter. I am Mike Solana, M-I-C-S-O-L-A-N-A. Share the conversation and don't forget to rate and review this podcast. Five stars for the little green men. One of the Rosetta Stones of the entire topic of like what we can talk about in the world, you know, what, what do we feel comfortable talking about? What can you not talk about? What exists outside of the Overton window? Is this topic of UFOs, I mean, even just kind of like saying it right now, I feel sort of silly. We're all supposed to be like these serious thinkers and, uh, you know, science and facts and UFOs is somehow just like it's thrown into the realm of of like ghosts and the Loch Ness Monster. Totally. Even though, I mean, the, the last couple years specifically have been kind of crazy. I mean, we've seen a handful of reports from mainstream newspapers. You have the New York Times having two separate reports about unidentified flying objects, well-sourced about the government and government programs monitoring these things, the pilots who have seen these things, materials that have been recovered from these things, and then also the military coming out and saying, yeah, that's all true. We don't know who leaked it, but that's correct. It seems like that should be a bigger deal than it is right now. It's like the entire internet freaked out both times. They were like, wow, UFOs. And then we kind of just stopped thinking about it as a people. And so I wanted to just kind of get into that whole topic and you know explore that, both the actual UFOs themselves and the way that we talk about them or don't. We're on the same page. You know, there's something that's potentially world-changing and somehow it's kind of just like sidelined and pushed into the like back of the public mind, if it's even acknowledged at all. Two things that, that I'm interested in here, here right off the bat. First is like, 
you know, what specifically are we talking about with UFOs? I mean, what are pilots in the military seeing right now? Why is that important? And then two, what is your relationship with all of this? Are are you just a hobbyist? Are you just, there's a community of people who are interested in this and you're one of the leaders? Like, what is what is all of that? Okay, uh, so first, to answer your question about what we're talking about when we say UFOs, a lot of people will say it's unidentified flying objects. Obviously, people see them all the time, right? That is true. But we're talking about people who are, you know, flying in and operating multi-million dollar jets, Navy pilots specifically, who have gone on record, right, and said that we have encountered these unidentified flying objects or aerial phenomena where we have no idea what it is, as in like who built them, who's behind it, and how they work. There's many unknowns about these things. So let's back up for a second. First of all, for somebody from the Navy, um, an active duty or even former, let's say they have a security clearance still, many of them will, will for a long time. For them to just speak to the public or speak to the media requires a lot of background vetting and different decision making that has to go into this process, right? You can't like a guy can't even tell you what they had for breakfast without getting it cleared through a bunch of different personnel. So wait, so, a so, situation so I mean, where, but let's let's talk about specifics here. So th- there have been a couple of New York Times pieces where Navy pilots have gone on the record. But I thought, how, how do you know they went through any kind of process? Couldn't they have just gone ahead and, and reached out? Um, first of all, there were certain pilots that were no longer uh, active duty. These were the guys who were the first people to kind of come on record. But here's how they were connected and are connected to the government. Their cases, uh, the UFOs that they encountered, those cases were studied by the Pentagon's official UFO program that was recently declassified in 2017, which is what started all the news articles. This is one of those key cornerstone cases that this uh, program was kind of centered around. First of all, there were papers, uh, specifically um, DIRS, that were issued by the Pentagon. They were trying to understand what kind of technologies or science goes behind these uh, UAPs. But then we see that they're looking at specifically issuing and starting the public debate and the implications of starting a public debate about the possibility of extraterrestrial life. And they're looking at how to do that subtly. And you would wonder, why would a Pentagon-funded program, DIA-issued program, be interested in such concepts when they're setting like these kinds of UFOs, right? Like uh, if you start putting two and two together and then you start setting and interviewing all these scientists who are public, some of these are military scientists, they still have security clearances, so they can only say a certain amount of things, but they'll tell you straight up that, yes, we studied UFOs during this part of the program. Um, for example, some of the UFOs that these Navy pilots encounter. And I just want to like finish answering your question, by the way, about what we mean by that. The reason why I brought up the background uh, about like all these processes or like possible processes is because for somebody who is trained to identify any aerial threat in the sky as they're flying, they're not going to misclassify a bird so easily as, let's say, a random pedestrian. And on top of that, you have multiple people from the same squadron coming out and supporting this. We have over um, at least uh, 20 people involved from the incident that the NY Times article is about. Some of them are still former, um, or sorry, active duty. A lot of them are former. They all testified that the thing that they saw that they were tracking for two weeks straight was flying and moving in ways that defy the laws of physics as we uh, know them today. And we're talking about fundamental laws of physics, things like violating conservation of energy, things that 
are normally considered crackpot concepts, anti-gravity. These things are reported all the time now. How do we know this isn't, you know, uh, some kind of error in our technology that we're using to record this stuff? So that was one of the first questions that came to mind when the radar operator, Kevin Day, on the USS Princeton. So let's go back to the NY Times article. That specific object was being tracked and there was fleets of these objects and they would be tracked from uh, at least 80,000 feet up, which is the maximum range of the radar. So it could have been coming from higher and they would drop like up to sea level within seconds. The radar operator at first thought that this must be a mistake. Nothing can move so fast 33 times, 88 times the speed of sound without creating a sonic boom. That's just impossible, right? What they did was they actually reset all of these very advanced radars. By the way, at the time that this happened, this was the most advanced radar system in the world that these guys were operating. They were working with very classified equipment. A lot of it is still classified. So what they thought was that once they reset their equipment, uh, this bug will go away and they'll stop seeing this. But instead, it actually became better and more accurate. So they started seeing these blips more frequently to the point where after the end of, I believe, two weeks, the radar operator decided that we need to intercept these objects and figure out what is going on because it's their job to track literally every single thing in the sky, right, and log it. And they were unable to do that with this. So they went and checked it out and this thing freaked them the hell out, right? So you have these guys who are now on CNN saying that we're pretty sure this was uh, not of this world. And they're, Again, you know, on, these on are guys, like, yeah. uh, when you yeah. say guys, you mean these are, these are the pilots, these are the Navy pilots. Right, yeah, like, and that's your top Navy pilots. Like, like for example, uh, Commander Fravor, the guy who was one of the first people to come out, he's, I believe, the third or fourth highest-ranking officer on that entire ship of thousands of people, right? So we're not talking some random Joe. We're talking people who had absolutely everything to lose. And what about your relationship? Back to your relationship to all of this. What is going on behind the scenes? I mean, you have a few people in the mainstream media now, you know, intermittently interested in this topic, and then they sort of forget that it exists. But you're kind of super into it. You've been into it for years. There seems to be a sort of community behind this. Can you tell me a little bit more about your relationship with that and like what, what all that is? Yeah, so let me give you some background. I was actually not that interested in this topic for a very long time. Like I was like as a kid, like when I was 13, became a skeptic for probably about 10 years. Then that NY Times article came out and that kind of piqued my interest. But I put it on the back burner because I was working on just graduating and then eventually I started working on my startup. But then for some reason, I just got a bug to start investigating other similar cases and just like learning the people who are in this field, specifically the military scientists, the whistleblowers, the people who actually worked in this Pentagon program, right? Like the scientists specifically. I ended up getting to know them through my investigations. I flew out to these private conferences and stuff as a scientist that was invited. And I just used that opportunity to meet them and really understand what they did at that Pentagon UFO program to the best of my abilities. And so what we have today, uh, as it stands since that 2017, was a blow up of guys like me who eventually found themselves in what's called what I call UFO Twitter, like a part of Twitter where we're all interested in UFOs and the backgrounds are huge, very varying. You have guys who are just working like unexpected like labor jobs to, let's say, aspiring politicians, people who go to Yale Law, which is uh, interesting. You have scientists. You have all these people who are either interested in the topic for years or they just came on because of the NY Times stuff. And we kind of just debate like crazy. We've, we all study like common cases that are well corroborated with credible witnesses. And we try to understand, you know, what is going on. You know, I joined UFO Twitter by first just publicly going, 
you know, talking about UFOs, uh, I, I took a risk. Like, it was probably one of the most nerve-wracking things I had done at the time. Eventually, I just kept talking, uh, engaging ideas and discussions, and I started gaining traction. I got invited onto podcasts, and people, once they, I guess, understood or, like, learned of who I was, they, let's just say they vibed with it, for lack of any better terms. <laughs> and so now I... <laughs> So now I'm here where like I'm getting invited to speak. I'm working with a lot of these guys who are either former DOD officials, people from different governments around the world who are paid to study UFOs for their governments. Let's get into a little bit more of what we've actually seen. So the New York Times piece, you know, what we're talking about these objects, again, unidentified flying objects defying the laws of physics. What have we seen for sure? What do we know for a fact exists or at least that we've perceived? Okay, for a fact, we know things exist that are at least 50 feet long. So try to imagine this like a cylinder about 50 feet in length. We know that there are things about this big that can fly with no jet engine and they have five observables. Time and time again, we can empirically, scientifically with our instruments verify that these things are doing these five things. And these five things are, one is transonic travels. So what that means is, sorry, transmedium capability. So just as easily as you can go from air, you can travel in like, let's say water or in space, and you can move between the three mediums without any resistance. That's like the idealized transmedium travel. And that's what we're observing. So if you look at like boats and planes today, our planes have wings for a reason, right? It needs to negate the air and it can't just like dive into the water and become the world's fastest submarine, for example, because now it has to fight different kinds of physics. For these things, they don't change their shape, yet somehow they're still able to maneuver through these different environments with ease. And it's no specific order, like they're just as weird and important for the most part. Uh, the second one is anti-gravity. The third one is low observability. So I have one of my colleagues, uh, one of my friends, he is a pilot who actually has interacted with one of these things. Like he was former US Navy pilot. In instances where he was involved, they were flying and tangoing against objects where these objects would be registered in different parts of the electromagnetic spectrum other than the visible spectrum. Something could say, like the radar would say, there's this physical giant object about 1,000 feet away from you, and they couldn't see anything. The fourth one is instantaneous acceleration and deacceleration. And the fifth one is uh, hypersonic velocity without any sonic boom. So you're traveling five times, 50 times, 100 times the speed of sound. Like we've clocked things at 88 times the speed of sound that hasn't generated any sonic boom. And it's very much there. It's interesting. It it sounds like these things move the way... Do you ever notice like a little speck of light on the wall and look down and realize it's a reflection from the sun off of like the face of your watch or something? And it moves so yeah. fast. It, it, it seems like these things exist in that way. It's like they're like reflections of something rather than a thing. So, so you, do, do you understand the implication of what you're suggesting? Because it's kind of scary. I agree. No, uh, I, I don't. Tell me. Tell, tell me. <laughs> if you look at the uh, light example, the light is being projected onto a surface, right? So that means that the light has less dimensionality in your case. Let's say you, you create a two-dimensional spotlight against a wall, that speck of light, and now you can just move that speck of light really fast because you're a three-dimensional object. So that means that if this thing, this UFO, is a projection. It's like a piece of light. They exist in multi-dimensional world. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> These so are multi-dimensional beings. 
You got it. Yeah, it's a higher dimensional object, and we're 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 the two dimensional object. Um, wild. It's kind of just <laughs> intuitively what I've always thought of whenever I read these things. It, it it's just it seems to check all the boxes for me. I want to know. Well, it hasn't been ruled out by the world's best experts who have looked at this for what it's worth. So. Uh, let's talk about you know some. I mean, everyone's thinking aliens right now, but what are the what are all of the? Let's just do like a laundry list. What are the what are the different kinds of things that this could be? Okay, first one that comes to everybody's mind, government psyops. For some reason, you know, they, they want to generate the next military budget or, or whatever. There's different kinds of hidden agendas. The second one is some kind of mass hallucination, mass delusion, giant scam. That's not government-oriented. The third possibility is that these are Russian or some other terrestrial entity some or some rogue group that we haven't identified. Think about, like, a bad Avengers or, like, an Avengers that... You know, they don't really do much. They just fly around and spook our military out and different militaries around the world and civilians. Gosh, all but these things about- sound like wishful thinking to me. No, I agree. I, I, all of them just sound pretty silly if you really want to defend it. And then finally, obviously, the last option is that these are things that just weren't created on Earth. And that's all we can say. About that's not it. the last option. I'm going to propose a fifth Go option. Yeah, I think they're just why can't they just be us? Why can't it be us from some other time and space? I mean, if these things are existing so in multi-dimensions. In, no, so I would totally, I agree. But I would consider that as not originating from, I want to say that like there's something unique about us existing today in this in this future time. So if there's a Got human it. that comes from the future, yeah, I would consider them an alien in some respect. Other, other than that, oh, there is another option, a sixth option, and that's natural phenomena. So let's say random pieces of ionized gas, right, somehow combobulate and, and materialize and form super coherently into these UFOs, right? And they trick all these like experts and sensors. Yeah, this reminds me of the work of, are you familiar with Charles Fort? Uh, yes. <laughs> so, yeah, so Charles Fort, uh, I mean, he has a whole book called The Book of the Damned. It's massive. And he was writing in the early 20th century. He, he's famously just kind of like spending, or it might've been the late 19th, early 20th. He was spending all of his time in the New York public library, just finding all of these crazy stories from around the world, um, <laughs> these, these crazy news stories. And he found some commonality there. Like, for example, there would be these weird phenomena. He talked about UFOs, but he also talked about the way that it would suddenly just on a town start raining snakes or raining frogs right. or raining fish. Uh, this is stuff that we've heard about, like sort of since the biblical times. When I first read that, I was like, that's ridiculous it doesn't make any sense or um there's no way it's real and the book is old so you think like this is just superstitious or something and so i just googled it and i found all of these local stories from this decade um uh, of uh, of like you know a small town in australia reports this a small town in louisiana reports this like literal raining snakes what is that that is bizarre and of course you know people are like oh well you know it's a typhoon sucked up this pond and it's like wait a minute there are a lot of weird questions here. First of all, there's no report of a typhoon. Second, where is this pond where there are just you know thousands of these snakes hanging out in in one location? Third, yeah, and are, how did it just, is it able to just suck? Yeah, it just only took the snakes. It just sucked them up and then <laughs> dropped them off on its on a, on a small town. Like, what are you talking right. about? Like these <laughs> these quote air quote scientific explanations are as insane uh-huh. sounding as the magical stuff where it's like oh just like a portal opened and the snakes fell out. But actually, so I don't know what's happening here. I truly don't. I have no idea. What I do know for a fact is that something is happening here. There's something in in, in the realm of all of this stuff, in, in like phenomena. I think we think, we, we as people tend to think that we just 
understand the world around us now. We think, oh, well, science nailed it. The modern age happened. And now, you know, we know a lot of stuff. We know all this stuff. But there are still these these completely unexplained phenomena that we just, um, for whatever reason, increasingly, I think, tend not to think about at all. It's like scientists don't really like, not all of them. There are all these outliers. I mean, obviously you're in quantum, but for a lot of them, there there's just, there's like tremendous groupthink to the point where where you're not even allowed to ask these kinds of questions. Like, hey. And that's it, super scary. Yeah. It, I mean, it seems like there's this crazy thing happening. We should be talking about it. We should be trying to understand what the fuck that is. <laughs> I, I agree. I love how like you're like the voice of like the average person who's not like, let's say, a scientific authority. Because right now, a lot of this, like I would say about 80% of research in this field is held back purely by scientific stigma. It's not like there's some giant, crazy government cover up. There are some elements of that, like as you saw, the government, like this UFO Pentagon program was declassified. It was being covered up until 2017. But that's like 20%. Like the, the biggest thing is that most people who kind of hold the chains or hold the keys, they're like, uh, yeah, no, this is not a subject that we want to touch. And we're just going to like thought police everybody about it. Yeah, this is the cra- I mean, the government thing, people always want to go back to the government. Th- and I listen, I hate the government. <laughs> I'm the first guy to be like, fuck <laughs> the government. I'm not a big fan of the government. Um, but let's be real. There, there are two things. One, it's a huge conspiracy and they're covering up aliens or something. Uh, two, yeah. it's like some crazy secret they're covering up because they've created this thing. No, they, they are not capable. They are not competent enough to create something like this. And two, I don't think they're competent enough clearly to conceal it. I mean, here we are talking about it. And we've been talking about it long since the declassification. <laughs> so like, it just, they've, they've not really done a good job at either. And I don't think their hearts really That's why I'm it. saying it's a stigma. Yeah, right. it, 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 I agree with you. It's, it's complete scientific stigma. It's just like, for whatever reason, we've decided it's not a serious subject. We're not taking it seriously. Moving on. <laughs> exactly. And, and like that kind of thinking is never um, healthy. So I made a tweet and I was surprised like how much it, it looks like it struck home where I said that something that we should learn, if there's one thing we should learn from this whole coronavirus stuff is that the instinct to cover up something you don't understand or don't want to deal with could be lethal. It could yeah. lead to literal economic instability. Right. And so I said like it was kind of controversial, but I said UFOs are next. Uh, and China lied and people died. But like, it's kind of true. <laughs> it's true. But like, seriously, like, uh, it, it's a uh, it, and so the people who do run into these things brush up into these topics, uh, they have a very hard decision to make. But we know and there's lots of and that's like deserving of another topic of in itself. But over the past couple of years, there's also been lots of evidence like paper trails showing that this topic is actually no longer in the government's hands in the first place. It's actually in the hands of a group, let's say, of private enterprises instead. So it's long been a runaway topic that not even they control. And instead, they're kind of like it kind of goes back to your statement, you know, where you said, I just don't know what's going on. All I can say is there's something here. That is what they're saying, too. And they're that's not something that they want to publicly admit to, because I think that that would lead to more chaos. Like you mentioned, there are governments who are working with you on this. Who are the governments in the world that are taking this the most seriously? So, um, so I'll say a group of them without saying which one I'm part of specifically. We have the Peruvian government. We have like other countries in Latin America. Brazilian government is really in on this. Also, very recently, there's the Indian government. We we're seeing, by the way, uh, the I forget which part of the Chinese government, but ironically, even China is like trying to get into disclosure. 
they want to lead disclosure. I'm skeptical that they'll be able to do it and pull it off, especially because they have other priorities right now. But uh, you have, yeah, these like Latin American countries, uh, of course, American. Canada is kind of like secretive in general. They, they don't really, they don't like the public eye, but there is stuff that they have been working on as well. Like, for example, parts of the Canadian government is working with TTSA, the group that Tom DeLonge uh, runs. <laughs> the Blink-182 guy. Yeah, yeah. Isn't that weird? Uh, (laughs) I thought it was weird. And and then I got used to it. But like, yeah, it was weird at first. Strange bedfellows in this crazy time we live in. The entire universe is, yeah, the world just keeps getting weirder. I I don't know what's what's wrong. I mean, I have... I have yeah. an entire theory about this. Um, awesome. <laughs> I tweeted this a while ago and it's sort of as a joke. And then coronavirus happened and I'm sort of like, no, I'm definitely right. <laughs> um, I think so. Basically, I mean, we start with just the simulation theory, the idea that, you know, if you believe a species is even capable of creating complex simulations that simulate an entire reality, they will not just build one, they'll build many. If they can build many, they'll build, you know, billions and billions. And so the question is like, what's more likely? Are you, is it more likely that you're, you're one of the species that created this thing or are you one of the simulations? And it's just like, it seems more likely that you're one of the simulations. So it just automatically seems likely that we're living in a simulation. One, let's table that. So two, my question is like, Uh what kinds of simulations would a sufficiently advanced species want to run? And I've always thought that, and I wrote a book about this in 2014. I published it then. I wrote it in 2013. Well, it's a science fiction book, so it's not really about this. It's about teenagers with superpowers, but it's set (laughs) in a simulated reality. And my premise was like, oh, we would definitely want to run historical simulations. It would be so cool to go back in time and see, you know, for example, the moment at which artificial intelligence was created. And I had kind of the idea in 2012, Mm -hmm. 2013, 2014-ish, that whole area, that, that, that time that we were kind of at the precipice of that. And so it would be a really great time to run a historical sim. I thought that, you know, I was, I guess, I'm still a pretty optimistic guy. I was really optimistic then. And I was like, oh, it's, it's you know, singularity is near. It's about to happen. <laughs> um, you know, if I wanted to look back at a, at, at a time, it, w- it would be this time. But then Trump was elected. And I'm not an anti, I mean, I'm, I'm sort of, I, I try and, I think it's, he's such a polarizing figure that I, I really try and stay out of it. Um, I think people yeah. are are pretty crazy right now. We're sort of in a mass hysteria and have been for a few years. And and I'm just trying to like stay uh-huh. sober and and keep out of the really crazy polarized stuff. But he did seem completely surreal to me, like impossible. Uh, and it kind of broke my brain a little bit. I started thinking like, wait a minute, what what was the most interesting thing that happened in my lifetime? And and I think maybe it was the fall of the Berlin Wall. Mm. It was the end of communism. It, what if we were born at the tail end of a simulation that followed the Cold War? And it could be a real historical sim. It could be like, you know, here's what actually happened. Or it could be something like, you know, what would have happened had Ronald Reagan won the presidency? So I started thinking about that. It's like, okay, so we've got this historical simulation. And if people are going to go into it and sort of look around and, and see what the world was like back then, there'd probably be some errors. And you'd have these like janitors inside of the simulation fixing the errors as they happen. Um, but, once right. the, but once the wall, once the Berlin Wall falls, once there's no reason, once the simulation is effectively over, there's no reason really to end it because you're an advanced civilization with unlimited energy. And there could be weird moral issues like, is it okay to just delete, you know, six billion simulated lives or should you just let it run? Good point. Um, so they're like, fuck it, we'll just let it run. 
they leave the simulations themselves. There are no more janitors. And so these <laughs> errors start popping up over time, you know, over oh my God, like 10, this is amazing. 10, I see where you're 20 going years this. later, you start having errors. And the more errors there are, the more errors they are, there are. So they start to proliferate and they proliferate <laughs> on top of each other. And so things just start to get weirder and weirder and weirder and weirder until maybe a few years from now, it becomes very obvious to everyone that we're living in a sort of like weird magical reality now and nothing makes sense. Um, or it makes sense in these new dimensions where the simulation, my friend, it's just broken. We're now living in a fucking broken simulation. And so, yeah, it's just weird shit happens. That's so funny. I love that model where like, okay, at this point, reality has served its purpose to our gods and overlords. So it's kind of just uh, like an anarchy now uh, over here. (laughs) Yeah, it's like... So it reminds me of... yeah. Well, I mean, it's scary, but it's also exciting because maybe it's like the Matrix, and you can you can bend those broken rules to your to your own will. I don't know. You know, it reminds me of a lot of quantum computing. Like as you're describing that, we have something called error correction. Uh, you need error correction in classical computing as well, but in quantum computing, it's an extra big problem um, because you have to keep your system very isolated, and you need to make sure that. No measurement occurs to the system, right? Otherwise, you'll disturb the system and it'll no longer follow the quantum mechanical behavior. So in order to do that, in order to really isolate the system, depending on the uh, quantum computing architecture, uh, you have different engineering challenges that are involved. And so errors pile up. The more calculations you do, the more operations you do, the more errors that will just keep happening. So so it, it's funny that like uh, there's an analogy there, right? Like the, <laughs> basically, the science adds up is what I'm saying. Science checks out. This is no longer just an idea. It is now a, it is now a theory. It's, it's probably inevitable um, unless there's error correction codes. Like we're trying to, there's a whole field of research in quantum computing that tries to make error correcting codes for the specific reason. So maybe if the simulators are nice, they have those in place or we can make them ourselves. Then we can definitely bend the matrix. God, there's just so much about the world we don't know. Yeah, I love it, right? Isn't it awesome? <laughs> I mean, it's like everything. There's, there's, uh, it's weird. I guess when I was very little, you know, the world just seems like magic. And then you become, you know, like a teenager and you get it beaten into your head by your teachers that there are rules and there's all this stuff that we know. And there's like right knowledge and wrong knowledge and you should have right. the right knowledge and like here are all the things that you that are just true and should not be questioned. Yep. And then just like the more you learn about even a single subject, the more you realize you don't know. And the more that you realize you don't know anything about the thing that you know the most about, the more you realize like, holy <laughs> shit, nobody knows anything. <laughs> nobody That's knows right. anything. Yeah, exactly. It, it's like, it's actually phenomenal that the world even runs in the first place. It <laughs> yes. keeps going. Yeah. I mean, and right <laughs> like, now, I mean, we're looking around and it yeah. seems like at any moment, I mean, like a slight breeze at this point could just collapse the <laughs> global economy. It's it's like we're, we're on the last legs here. Yeah, like nobody move. Nobody move at all. <laughs> like, like seven and a half billion people are doing that at the same time. Uh-huh. It's true. Uh, on the AL, I mean, so you, you're, you're thinking on the UFOs is, you know, you, you listed the, the six different possibilities you think it's these you're not sure what kind of beings but it's they're beings and they're not us that's right and and it could be us from the future by the way right i still differentiate but yeah it's just not us today like there's there's not a single human that i will find on planet earth right now that i can easily just go up to right and say hey did you make this or can you even explain the science of how you can make this nobody can that's the most baffling part yeah i mean back when 
you know, during the Manhattan Project before that. So but what Einstein wrote his famous letter to the president and talked about nuclear science, it's like there was a whole community of people who were talking about this stuff and understood it long before the atom was split. So it's like we, we knew that it could happen before it did. This is something that it just seems like magic. There's no one who understands breaking all these different laws of physics. And then if you just step back and think about what we talked about earlier, the sort of like multidimensional component of that, mm-hmm. um, it's just mm-hmm. like impossible to even fathom for us in the dimensions that we exist in. It's literally impossible for us to fathom. Like if something, if there is, if we are dealing with life forms that exist in higher spatial dimensions than we do, then we, yeah, we literally can't even see them, right, uh, in their full form. It reminds me of like a person using a laser pointer to fuck with his cat, you know? <laughs> it's true. Sending the little dot around the house and the, the cat's chasing it and not understanding why it can't grasp its paws around it. Actually, like going deeper into the analogy, imagine this. So like, let's say you have two cats and you have a laser pointer and like you have the owner just like fucking with the two cats and o- it only shows a laser pointer to one cat, but not the other cat. <laughs> so now if so now if the cat the one who saw the laser pointer wanted to convince the other one if they really like wanted to they had a they wanted to increase their chances of like in- mutual understanding they both would need to have some understanding of laser physics or like an acceptance that that is possible for them to like truly believe that there was a laser pointer there otherwise it's just a cat taking the word for it so like the word for the other cat so maybe we're in that situation where we don't even have an understanding of the physics that's why we find it so hard to believe or even really comprehend where do you see this going, and I mean it, and there are two parts to this question. The first, I'm wondering, where do we go culturally? Do, do you see some sort of mass acceptance of these things coming and then, you know, a, an extended conversation about what they might be and why it's important? Uh, and then two, what about the science? What do we need to know to better understand this stuff? And do you see us making gains in those fields? Yeah. So to answer your first question, essentially, I think the biggest cultural change is going to happen this decade or the most pivotal one. Like, I truly believe looking at all the trends and the things that are happening today in this decade, it'll become just public common public knowledge. You know, at some point, it'll even become like a tabletop, uh, sorry, table discussion where everybody kind of acknowledges that UFOs are a thing and it'll be a very maybe polarizing sort of topic initially where some people will be in just complete disbelief. And then eventually it'll become a lot like any other scientific paradigm that we've gone through. You know, very few people argue that the Earth is flat, for example. This, I believe, is very much the same thing. Except I think it's going to happen way faster than it did when Galileo proved that the Earth isn't the center of the universe. It took still, you know, decades and eventually centuries for people to fully uh, accept that. Um, Some people still Because we have the Internet. It's true. It's true. And that's still going to happen with this whole UFO topic too, but, but and the I, whole but, idea. Of, but exactly, yeah. it's because yeah. information travels so much more quickly now. You know, that's that's a whole separate. That's a, a sort of a blessing and a curse. It means that that totally. information can spread fast, but so can disinformation, and so can mass hysteria. And that's I think exactly. what we're again another thing we're seeing with the coronavirus is it can be a very dangerous thing when when suddenly the whole world is terrified of the exact same thing uh, and willing to do almost <laughs> anything to stop it. Um, that's another conversation so, so yeah, for another day. It, it, imagine, the- yeah, so imagine now uh, what you just said, and then governments unanimously around the world declare tomorrow, by the way, guys, there seems to be an intelligence, not of human origin. We don't know who they are, what they want, why they're here. They can kick our ass like without even moving a muscle, right? Within a, a minute, the whole world could be dead. 
Um, and well, maybe you're making a lot of leaps there. We don't even know. We know that we can perceive them. We don't know that we're not, we're not certain that we're physically interacting with them. And what if we can't even, I mean, what if, what if they don't have access to us in the same way that I don't have access to like the world of, of a stick figure on a piece of paper? Well, I mean that in that case, so, you know, you can easily crumple the piece of paper and affect the stick person. Let's take a step back for a second. There's a war study specialist. His name is Tom Rogan, I believe. He's on Tucker Carlson every now and then, and he's a really uh, cool British guy. Um, he found historic files where we've had encounters with military, both UK and American military pilots, as well as Russian pilots who chase these objects, and they are never reported to be seen again. They just... They disappear completely. Uh, we have cases that, and you can talk to these pilots, they're still alive today, where they were some subjected to some sort of directed energy weapon attack. Like, we'll just call it advanced directed energy weapon. And I'll be careful with the word attack. They were affected electromagnetically by being near these things. So we know that they can affect us. And there's also one of the studies that was issued by the UFO Pentagon program was on biological health effects by anybody who stands near these UFOs or even flies near these things. And there's a huge field of research. A lot of it is classified. Some of it is recently declassified. That's also pertaining to that. So we know there are What do we know? What, what has been declassified? What we do know is that a lot of this looks like radiation and radiation symptoms. Like you'll have radiation poisoning. Uh, you'll have people who are claiming, a vast majority of people, who are claiming some sense of heightened intelligence, uh, heightened intuition. Um, and so some people will interpret that and claim that they're psychic. More scientific people will say... No, I'm just more intuitive. So people actually started doing studies to see if there's like a common pattern between people who see these objects and interact with them more frequently or at all than the normal population. And we found that there's an actual physical area of the brain uh, called the caudate pudumen that has up to nine to 27 times more connections in people who see or interact with these objects. And that can be empirically verified that they interacted with these objects. So now there's further studies. I'm actually helping on like just trying to uh, repeat this on scale, like to the masses, like going beyond just the couple hundred people that were tested before. What we do know, like I said, to answer your question is lots of radiation stuff, lots of weird cognitive um, abilities that we don't understand how to fully like explain why that happened, why that increased or reported increase. And I think other than that, there's a lot of cures. Curing happens too. Like people, people with terminal diseases, for example, uh, will have their terminal disease completely eradicated. I'm sorry, and they'll let's often... back up. A, a lot of people. Who, who are we talking about sorry. here? Who is interacting so, with these things? And and then so so yeah, go for. It. Well, yeah. that's the question. I mean, who are we talking? These so, are not. So we have pilots the... who we trust, but then who are these other people? My favorite example, and I think the most. Uh, prominent public example uh, is Chris Bledsoe. So Chris Bledsoe was the AA tips first case study. So you know the UFO Pentagon program that mm -hmm. I was just talking about? Their first case study was this guy, a random civilian uh, in, I believe, North Carolina. And he is literally a magnet for UFOs, dude, like for the phenomenon. And so much so, like he can reliably attract these things so consistently that he's had high-ranking military offic officials, uh, high-ranking CIA officials, um, DOD, NASA, actually be there and experience this for themselves, which has won them over. So over the last 15 years, uh, he has been like a hotspot in an ongoing study. He is still today being studied by a lot of these uh, high-ranking officials. That's and wild. Some so he of them has the ability to, public to almost summon them. 
That's right. That That is right. And that's rare, right? Because in science, we're looking for repeatability. So that's like the Hail Mary, repeatability plus this weird phenomena. What more can you ask for? I guess the last question is, it's about this. It's about this idea that we have all this stuff out there worth talking about in this field. And it it seems so huge that obviously, you know, everyone should be talking about it. It's like the greatest mystery that exists right now in my opinion, or, or one of them, certainly, what do you think it is that prevents people from looking at this? What is it? Why is the, the Overton window narrow in such a way as it, as it keeps us from talking about this particular thing, this whole, you know, actually field of things? Uh, the, and no specific order. One is obviously ridicule, right? Nobody wants to be the guy who gets laughed at. Uh, the second thing I think, and it's, and it's a more subtle one, is the deep innate fear of not wanting to just meet the unknown and to just want to stay comfortably in your current you know mindset worldview it's so much easier to just say that was a mistake or they're wrong than like actually address like what the heck it means for us to not be the only intelligent life and that they've already found us like that is very scary for people and i don't even think a lot of them consciously recognize the fear that they're dealing with yeah i agree i i think it's I, it's got to be some kind of, there's some bias as well. I mean, I, I think people genuinely believe that they have a grasp on the world. I don't know if that's a cognitive bias or what, but there's a sense that like what we see is what exists. And if we haven't seen anything else, then then it doesn't. Exactly. And you know, uh, do, you, do you know a famous case of when that's happened before? Bacteria. People didn't believe in germs and washing oh my God, hands I was for a very long time. Just thinking about this in awesome. with the coronavirus stuff. Like, can you imagine <laughs> telling people? Si- telling? Can you imagine telling scientists in the in like the eighteen fifties? Exactly. You know, yeah. hey, like there's an invisible world of like things that are so small that you can't even see them, but they're alive and they're in charge of everything that's happening right now. They're the reason that this that this is that this plague exists. It's like a whole secret universe. Um, if you if you think about it that way. It seems crazy. It seems just completely crazy. But now we know it exists. And now, you know, the whole nation is at war with it against this invisible force. Oh, man, that I hope that's not foreshadowing. I hope so, too. (laughs) (laughs) It was awesome talking to you, man. Yeah, likewise, Mike. I love this. I'm Mike Solana, and this is Problematic.